y'all have covered it pretty much this morning, amen. <laughs> All right, y'all may be seated. I'll not hold you long though, I promise you, amen. Amen, I do love the Lord and I appreciate all the goodness and the blessings that he's bestowed upon me and my family. And I love, love this church, I appreciate y'all and it's just good to see the freedom of your worship and the liberty, amen. And we're going to go back to Luke chapter number 7 this morning for just a few minutes. Luke chapter number 7. Uh, last night I tried to deal with the first 10 verses of Luke and we looked at a so great faith. And uh, I hope that that was a help to you and let you see a few things maybe that will be an encouragement to you. Today I want to begin reading in verse number 11 and we'll read down through verse number 17. We'll read these few verses and uh, then we'll be through. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verse number 11, And it came to pass the day after, that is the day after what we looked at last night. Uh, the Bible said, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. By the way, where will you be when they carry you out? How about that? The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Uh, this is not the text, but uh, you'll notice in verse number 9 last night, I preached on a so great faith. But in verse number 16, we've got a great prophet. Amen. Amen. Two, two great things in, in Luke chapter number 7. Amen. Thank God, and uh, because of that great prophet, we do and can have great faith, amen. I want to preach, if I could, for a few moments on meeting Jesus at the gate. Meeting Jesus at the gate. The city of Nain, now listen carefully, the city of Nain is approximately 25 miles uh, from Capernaum where Jesus was at the day before. And the Bible said in verse number 11 that it came to pass the day after that he went into a, a city, the city Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now, in verse number 12, the story is, is that when Jesus and his apostles arrive at the city of Nain, they're making their way, and I'm kindly imagining maybe this, we'll just use this opening as the gate here, Jesus and his apostles, they are, uh, they are out here on the road coming from Capernaum. And as they are coming in the city of Nain, 
there is a funeral procession that is coming out of the city of Nain and they meet here at the gate. And I want to say today that those gates represent change in our lives. The gate is a place of change and I'll illustrate that in just a moment. In the Word of God, we find that Jesus raises three different individuals from the dead. That is, that's what we have recorded. And when I looked at these, I saw that there is a progression in that. Uh, in uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter number 8, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now listen carefully. Jairus' daughter is still on the bed. She dies before Jesus gets there and so she's laying on the bed dead. Here we find that the widow of Nain, her son dies and now he's in the funeral procession. He's on the bier. He's on a stretcher that they're taking him to the cemetery. But when you get to John chapter number 11, you'll find that Lazarus has been taken from the deathbed The funeral procession is over and he's in the tomb and been there four days, amen. We know that Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. And that tells me that if an individual has just reached what we might call the age of accountability, they may just be on the deathbed. And then there are those that may have begun to get out into the world and they're dead in trespasses, and they may be in the funeral procession, amen. And then there are those that have been dead a long time, amen. They're hardened sinners, and they've got the sin, but Jesus is able to raise all of them from the dead, amen. Amen. It takes the same shed blood uh, to save that little boy or girl that's just reached the age of accountability, and getting saved at a young age, it takes the same grace and the same blood to save them as it does to save that hardened sinner that's been out into the world all of their lives, amen. So we see a progression in this spiritual truth in these three deaths that Jesus deals with. But in this text, this boy that dies is the only son of this widow. And this was a situation that The Bible has really a lot to say about. You could go back to Amos chapter number 8, to Zechariah chapter number 12, and it talks about uh, the, the state of a woman whose only son dies. But in this case, this widow, the Bible calls her a widow, she has already been through the gates in a procession before, and it was her husband that has died. Now it is her son that is dead. And in that day and in that culture, when the husband died, the, it was the responsibility of the eldest son to step up and to be the provider of that household. Well, now the Bible said he was the only son. And so it left this woman in a state of having no hope. Uh, she had no, uh, no means of support, if you please. There was nobody with, was going to carry on the legacy of her husband, of uh, the name of her husband, In other words, she was left in a state of sorrow, in a state of grief. But the Bible said that in verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Amen. So we see the need of that woman. Amen. 
And then when you think about the son, he is a type of the sinner. In other words, we see his inability to help himself. He's dead, amen. He's dead. He could do nothing to help himself. We see his public helplessness. There was nobody else. They had hired the mourners, no doubt. The family was there. Uh, The friends were there. The relatives were there. The mother was weeping, but he had a dead ear to all of that around him. He had a dead ear to all of that, amen. But he didn't have a deaf ear to the voice of Jesus, amen. Are you listening to me, amen? So we see his, his personal inabilities, his public helplessness, but then we're gonna look at that powerful deliverance in just a moment. But I wanna give you three things as Brother McBride said last night and as I said last night. I'm gonna give you three things in our story and we'll go eat some whatever we have. Amen. Is there any chicken on the top? Woo, boy. I'm telling you what now. I want you to notice three things about Jesus. It doesn't matter whether I start in Genesis 1 or go to Revelation 22. Doesn't matter what I'm a preaching on or what story it is. Somehow or another, I want to make my way to Jesus. Number one, I want you to notice with me the timing of his arrival. I'm talking about meeting Jesus at the gate. The timing of his arrival. The Bible said here in verse number one again, and verse 11, and it came to pass the day after, the day after. Now we know that he being the son of God, he knew everything. He's omniscient, he knows everything. Uh, as God, he is, he's everywhere. He didn't have to be at the city of Nain in person to know what was going on there. When Jesus come into this world, he did not lay aside his deity He laid aside the glory of that deity as he veiled it in human flesh. But as Jesus was in Capernaum, he knew what he needed to do at the city of Nain and he knew exactly when he needed to get there. So listen now, watch this. He had a 25 mile trip to make. 25 miles to walk in one day. And so he finished up at Capernaum uh, healing the nobleman's son or the centurion's son and he began to make his journey uh, to the city of Nain, 25 miles. I can imagine maybe some of the crowd got a little tired. They might have wanted to stop and rest a little while. I can just see Jesus saying, we need to move on, please, if y'all would just follow me. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Uh, they might have thought he was a rushing them. You hear me now? They might have thought he was rushing them a little bit. They might not have understood why he seemed to be in such a hurry. Uh, but Jesus had something he wanted to do. And he wanted to do it at the gates of the city of Nain because the funeral procession was coming out. Amen. The timing of his arrival. Amen. Can I say to you, friend, God's always on time. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. God was on time, a friend with the nation of Israel in every episode of their life in the Old Testament. He was on time in the life of Christ. He's been on time in your life and my life. Every one of us has been saved for a while. We could stand up this morning and testify of how that just at the appropriate time, God met the need, amen. Just on time, God 
always comes through. Amen. My wife and I, we've been, I've, I've pastored for 36 years, pastored my first church eight years, and then I resigned the Fairfield Baptist Church, pastored 28 years and three months, Demarest, Georgia. And last January, uh, we left, or February, we left, and so I've been doing evangelism this past year. And I'm kind of like, somebody asked Brother Ben Wittenberger, said, what do you miss the most about pastoring? He said, the paycheck. <laughs> Y'all will get that in a minute, amen. He was saying he didn't miss the burdens. He didn't miss the, uh, the hardships of it. Uh, in other words, and, and let me say that, 36 years I've been in the harness, but I've enjoyed what I'm doing now. I enjoyed pastoring. Don't you misunderstand me. I enjoyed pastoring. Young man asked me last night here in the service, uh, a preacher that was visiting in, he, he said, well, tell me, uh, tell me how you view the difference, the difference you're seeing between pastoring and evangelism. And I said, well, evangelism is really not new to me because I've always preached quite a few meetings. I said, but what's new to me is not pastoring. That's what's new to me. But I've said all that to say this. In the last year, uh, we, we just got out of the church, just got out of the pastorate, and we were going to a meeting somewhere, and I told my wife, I said, well, I guess we're going to have to just see what God does taking care of us, you know, monetarily, financially. And you know what she said? You know what she said, Brother Shane? She said, well, I guess you're going to have to practice what you've been preaching about faith. She said, I, I guess, uh, she said, I guess we're going to have to start doing what you've been telling other people to do, amen, live by faith. But what I found out in the past year is that God is on time, amen, all the time. The timing of his arrival, amen. He's always on time, amen. By the way, he's coming back on time too. Number two, I want you to notice with me not only the timing of his arrival, but the tenderness of his attitude. The tenderness of his attitude. The Bible said in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her. Now this is important. It was the boy that was dead. The boy that was dead on the bier. It doesn't say when the Lord saw him, but when the Lord saw her. When the Lord saw her, what did he do? He had compassion. He had compassion on her. And I like to magnify this point this morning uh, that, sh that Jesus was not asked to do what he was about to do. The woman did not rush up to him at the gate and say, oh, would you please raise my son from the dead? The apostles didn't say, Lord, would you raise him from the dead? Uh, the city folk didn't say, Lord, he's, she's worthy for you to do this, like the centurion said. Uh, that wasn't. Matter of fact, if you'll notice the context, there is no faith exhibited on anybody's part in the story. Nobody is exalted. Nobody, I said nobody, is manifesting any faith 
for the Lord to do what he does. Can I help you right here just a little bit? A lot of times in our life, we think that all the blessings and all the good things and all the, you know, we think that everything we're gonna get from God is upon our shoulders and depends on our faith and what we can do. But I wanna tell you, we serve a savior this morning that is full of mercy and full of compassions, amen. And sometimes God just looks down and sees where you're at even in a place of no faith. And God says, I'm just gonna bless you and I'm just gonna help you. You know why? You know why? Because we're his children, amen. He had compassion, the tenderness of his attitude. I wanna say this, dear friend, that you may be a stranger to his sympathy, yet he is no stranger to your sorrow. Why did he have compassion on her? Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want to tell you, friend, uh, he's a great high priest that's seated in the heavens. He knows our every care. He knows your every sorrow. He knows this morning the hardships and the trials that some of you may have. He knows exactly what you're going through. And God sent me up here this morning to tell you how that Jesus wants to meet you at the gate and he wants to have compassion on you and he wants to make a difference in your life, amen. He can do it this morning. He can make a difference in your life. In Luke chapter number 19 in verse 41, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and the Bible said he wept over them. He said in one place, he said, I would have gathered thee together as a hen doth her chicks, and ye would not. He looked over the people. As I quoted last night, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. I see Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. He said, where have you laid him? They took him over there, and Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha spoke up and said, Lord, he stinketh by now. And Jesus looked around, and Mary and Martha was weeping, and everybody was a-weeping. Now watch, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the Bible said that Jesus, what? He wept. You may have your, your reasons why you think he wept, but I think he wept because he was entering into the grief and the sorrow of Martha and Mary. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And God knows this morning, God knows you're going to be all right. God knows this morning that he's going to help you through the hard places in your life. God knows that. But at the same time, he has compassion upon you and mercy upon you for what you're going through, amen. The timing of his arrival, the tenderness of his attitude. And after this, can I say thirdly, we see the triumph of his action. What does he do? Look what he does in verse number 14. And he came and touched the buyer. That is that cot, if you please, not a coffin the way we think of, but a stretcher that he was on, being carried on. Jesus, the Bible said, when he saw her, he had compassion on her, and he touched it. Coming in, they were coming out. Jesus saw her weeping. 
and I can just see him with that mood with compassion. He puts his hand over on that, that bar, on that stretcher that that young man's on. And the Bible said, and he, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. I'm glad, friend, that we're serving a God that's got the power over death, amen, spiritual death. And can I say to you, one of these days, there will be a resurrection, amen. One of these days, there will be a reunion, amen. And one of these days, a friend, we're going to wake up in his presence, in his likeness, thank God, because he's the one that has the power and the keys of hell and of death, amen. I like to look at it like this. Sin's ruin and death is a result of sin. And that, this, every, it was, uh, uh, let, let me read you this. It was Griffith Thomas. I love to read Griffith Thomas. Griffith Thomas said that miracles were acted parables of Jesus' work for souls. Symbolic of his triumph over their misery and sin and typical of their spiritual deliverance and blessings. Everything that Jesus did had not only an immediate effect and an immediate uh, action to it, but it also has a spiritual significance and a teaching lesson for you and I today. And that tells me, friend, that what we need with what we're carrying and all the burdens and the hard things that we might be going through in life, it'd do us good just to meet Jesus in the gate, amen, to meet him at the gate and let him put his hand on us and touch us and bring new life and breathe new life into us, amen. That's what we need. Can I say this this, this morning? It was at the gates in Ruth that Boaz redeemed Naomi. It was at the gate in Genesis 19 that the angels met Lot. It was at the rich man's gate that Lazarus was laid daily to beg for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. It was at the gate to the temple in Acts 3 that the lame man lay where Peter and John came by and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, amen. Are you listening to me? It's kind of like a gate in John 10, 9 when Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Amen. I'm talking about those gates. In Psalms chapter 9, we read of the gates of death. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm saying that if you study gates, it is a place of change. Those that are on the inside are going out. And those that are on the outside are coming in. It is a place of change. Let me illustrate it a little bit further. This morning here, uh, this Sunday morning in February, there may be things happening in your life, uh, things that's going on in your life, uh, problems and burdens and cares, and what God is wanting you to know, that He's passing through the gate right now, uh, right here this morning, and all He wants you to do is to meet Him at the gate and let Him touch you, bless you and help you, amen and there'll be some changes that come in your life, amen I jotted this down I love to put my thoughts down 
Sometimes I've got three books. The pastor has them in his in his bookstore, amen. Y'all get them, amen. Help him out. Help me out. Buy them, amen. Death was coming out. Life was going in. A crowd mourning meets a crowd rejoicing. An only son was carried out dead while an only son was coming in much alive. The only son coming in raises the only son going out, amen, from the dead. At the gate, mercy met misery. At the gate, life met death. At the gate, the supernatural met the natural. At the gate, hope met desperation. At the gate, compassion met sorrow. At the gate, the gift of God met the wages of sin. At the gate, God visited his people, amen. And when God meets his people at the gate, the dead are raised, the sorrowful are comforted, the fear of God settles on the hearts of the people. God is glorified and Jesus is magnified. Meet him at the gate, amen. Meet him at the gate. At the gates you'll find God can save the sinners. He can forgive the saints. He can heal the broken hearts. He can comfort the sorrow. He can meet your every need. He can give you strength. He can take your burdens. He can give you blessings. He just wants you to show up at the gate because he's on time this morning. Amen. I'm through, preacher. Let's stand to our feet. I wonder how many's got a reason that you need to see Jesus in the gates this morning. Oh, my stars, as they come with a song and music, I wonder this morning if somebody 